as we continue the First Corinthians series, we're in chapter 3 now. Um, do you remember the letter began with, um, as soon as Apostle Paul started with greeting and thanksgiving, he jumped right into the church problems. The key problem that he mentioned in chapter 1 was divisions in the church. And because he was dealing with the root causes and other things, mainly because of Greek philosophy and the worldly wisdom, and um, as, as Apostle Paul has gone through this chapter 1 and 2, the key message has been the word of cross, God's secret hidden wisdom, God chose this seemingly foolish message, nonsense, in the eyes of the wise of the world, to shame them, to break down the pride, the human pride in any level. So, chapter 3, he finally resumes the topic itself. He talks about the divisions in the church. But unlike chapter 1, he talks about now mainly Apollos and he. There are four fictitions, four divisions and four parties that I belong to Paul, and some will say I belong to Apollos. Some will say I belong to Cephas, which means um, Aramaic for Peter. So traditionalists will say that. And then the fourth group, the spiritual elitists will say, I belong to Christ. So now he actually brings down to Apollos and him, closing the examples a little closer. Why is that? I think it's Apollos was so eloquent and powerful, and Paul become has been the, the planter of the church and the spiritual father of the church. So two main things he actually deals with right now. Do you remember last week we talked about natural people and spiritual people in light of Paul's uh, contextual exposition on God's his secret hidden wisdom. Why is it secret and hidden? Not because it's intellectually difficult, but because it's a spiritual in nature. Natural people, people who are born physically, naturally, with that natural tendencies you cannot understand, Paul said. Spiritual things. Because secret wisdom of God is taught and revealed, illuminated by the Holy Spirit. So let's recap really quick. There are four things I'll mention. Natural people do not have the Holy Spirit. By, by this men, and Paul says, they're not saved. Romans 8, he mentioned, if you do not, those who do not have the Holy Spirit do not belong to Christ. Contrastingly, spiritual people 
do have the Holy Spirit and they're saved. I think we need to define the word spiritual here a little bit uh, first. Because um, if we just throw the word spiritual, the new age people will understand it in a certain way. And the people who grew up in a very uh, strictly legalistic sense, and then they will be understood in a certain way. The number of times they pray and they, they read the Bible, how many times they went through the Old Testament, New Testament, how many days that he, they will set aside for fasting, etc., etc., the external signs of spiritual things. Okay, let's go to so, so evangelical churches like us. The spiritual sign is still there's a sense of spiritually uh, mature, fully, and conditionally. So we tend to think of spiritual people as, oh, I'm not that spiritual. It's not only humility, but acknowledgement of our tendencies, right? But notice this. This is theologically very important because this is often misunderstood, this chapter 3. Spiritual people do have the Holy Spirit and they're saved, i.e., positionally, all Christians are spiritual. All Christians are mature, in other words, complete in Christ. In practice, conditionally, it is another thing. So this God's kingdom of already, but not yet, is here. I'll explain more. That's an important concept. Number three, natural people do not accept things of the Holy Spirit because it sounds folly to them. And it's because they cannot understand spiritual truth. Spiritual truths are revealed, illuminated. Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our heart that we may be able to see. So we talked about last week the intellectually very capable people, high IQ people, would not understand simple truth about the word of the cross, the message of the cross. It just doesn't make sense to them. And that God's uh, wisdom and God's way is that he opened these spiritual truth to the people who are like child, to the people who are simple. To shame the wise and powerful of this world. So the last thing, spiritual people in the, in the other end do discern things of the Spirit because it is wisdom to them and because it, they have the mind of the Christ taught by 
the Holy Spirit. So it's clear. Paul is not saying the natural people are uh, natural people are not saved and they can't understand the Holy Spirit's stuff, the things of the Spirit. And then only the people who are spiritual elites, spiritually really wise people can understand. He is not saying that. He's simply saying because those who, who do not have the Holy Spirit cannot understand, cannot see spiritually, they do not understand. They cannot understand. So all those who are true Christians can understand and led by the Holy Spirit. So in this context, we jump into chapter 3. And now he's introducing um, this dichotomy and then walks into the church problems, division problems. And the question that we're asking this morning through this text is, when do divisions in, in a local church occur? So we could apply also to it. There is a first thing. Divisions in the church occur when Christians are, not, Christians are controlled not by the Spirit, but by their fallen nature, i.e. the flesh. Verse 1, he simply say, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants, babes in Christ. The word as spiritual people is important. Paul is not saying, you are not spiritual people, you are different type of people, carnal people, carnal Christian. We heard that term a lot. In some sense, it is correct, but in some sense, in, in light of this text, there is no such a thing that continually being carnal Christians. Why? Paul is saying, you have the Holy Spirit, therefore you are spiritual people, but unlike spiritual people, you acted in a way that you are not spiritual at all. You are merely of the flesh. You are merely acting like natural people. Therefore, you dirty diapers everywhere. You only want your selfish things. You're like infants who cannot take care of others. That's the point. Because in Romans, he mentions this. You, however, in chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. The positional statement there. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That is theologically sound principle and truth about all those who belong to Christ. All those who are true 
Christians. And our culture created a third type of people. That it is okay, we receive Christ, but Christ is a lot of times not my Lord. I'm not controlled by the Holy Spirit. But, you know, what can I say? I'm still growing. Paul is actually warning not only Corinthians, but us as well. If you stay, continually stay there, there is a disaster coming at you. You need to act like who those who belong to Christ. So there are two words in this con- in this text. So verse one, um, ESV translates as "of the flesh." The Greek word is "sarx," flesh. In some sense, it is literal f- flesh. In another sense, it's an Adamic nature. The fallen nature of Adam in all of us. Which means the, the, the sinful nature. Right? So one, one word. Uh, some, some commentators will say the two words are equally the same thing. But some commentators, which I think I agree with. There are two different meanings. Slightly different meanings. The verse 1 Sarkinos. When you, whenever you hear the nos is the made of, made of sarks, made of flesh. So we are made of flesh. So you belong to, you act like a merely natural person, right? In that sense. So this is more neutral meaning. But verse three, sarkikos, is actually characterized. Kikos characterized by the flesh controlled and you you excuse the characteristics of the flesh not of the of the spirit so this in latin words sarks a flesh uh, we from which we got the word carnal the meat the car you know the, even the carne asada right that those like same same idea came up. Stay with me. Unlike natural people who are not saved, Apostle Paul calls these people brothers, which means in Christ. They are Christians. He's not denying that, therefore you do this, so therefore you are not Christians. He's not saying that. Do you follow me so far? But what we have taken out of this text, our culture has taken this to extreme that it is okay to stay in the carnal state as long as you're saved. So therefore the cheap grace happened in our in our culture, in our churches. Paul's language is tension. Why? So think about this. Their number one sin in church division is pride. What kind of pride? Worst kind of pride is a spiritual pride. I am more spiritual. I'm more holy because I belong to Apollos. No, I belong to Cephas. 
He's the chief disciple. I belong to him. I am holier than thou. And Paul is saying, actually, that is the worst kind of pride. Stems out of the flesh. And if you stay there, Apostle Paul warns us, even including us, you ought to examine your salvation in Christ. Because once people settle in this fleshly state, they become the, the source of all kinds of problems at every level. Family level, work level, and including church level. Isn't it, isn't it true that many of us in this room already know the ugly, ugly things of church breakups? Including pastors. As a church split happens, uh, the property is, issue is become huge. W- would elders take it as they split into another one? And the pastor said, uh, I, I went to retreat and pray for 10 days and came back. This is what the Holy Spirit said. We are to take the property. And the elder said, no, Holy Spirit said, we are to take the property. Fleshly, infants, babies. Number two, divisions in the church occur when Christians are marked by immature diet and self-centered behaviors. So Paul mentions this fleshly Christian, carnal Christians, or spiritual babes, and he helps us by identifying those two key characteristics of that. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, not yet ready, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When he say only in human way, he means natural person. You act like a natural people. So remember, positionally what happened to us is by sovereign grace, without earning anything, without meriting anything, God instantaneously made us complete in Christ already. But until the day we physically die or face to see face to face Jesus in the heaven, our sanctification process continually happens. Whereas being freed from the power of the Holy Spirit. And three enemies, as we mentioned before, is the world, the Satan, and the flesh within us. 
And then he already mentioned this, the worldly influence and worldly philosophies. So now he's going at the flesh. And basically, when you think about when I am fleshly as a Christian, when I'm characterized by my dependence on the flesh, the fallen nature in me, what does it look like? He mentioned two things. First one is the spiritual babes, fleshly Christians cannot handle solid food. They want milk only. Lest we think it's about intellectual capacity. Milk, the difference between milk and solid food is not intellectual at all. It is actually spiritual. So, for example, it's not just about, okay, to talk about the message of Christ and how one becomes Christian is, the, the word of cross is milk. And how you become holy in Christ is meat. Oh, no, not necessarily. When you think about the secret wisdom it's very simple. But the, those who want milk only cannot go deeper. You, you mentioned like a sovereignty of God. Let's really understand sovereignty of God. How it applies to us. The milk could be God is in control of everything. So do not worry. Go in peace. Uh, the solid food or meat could be, let's really understand and how how we could embrace the sovereignty of God. You're going through a difficult time with your your loved ones, your your dad or your mom or your your brother has a cancer, a very difficult disease. How do you deal with that? Let's understand not the circumstance too much, but understand God's attribute. Let's delve into the wisdom of God and sovereignty of God in this. And Paul mentions, for example, Romans 11, verse 33. He goes, how unsearchable, how great the wisdom of God. He's talking about sovereignty of God and election of God. And he himself, Paul himself, in the middle of writing this, moved so deeply. The vision that Paul had about God was huge. So this is our challenge. In superficial spirituality in this culture, especially even in, within the Christian culture, to go deeper with things of God, to gain big vision of God, and somehow foreign, too solid for many of us. My encouragement for all of us is this: we do, by the Holy Spirit, by the sovereign grace of God, 
have a capacity within us because of the Holy Spirit. But delicate, uh, interwoven responsibility in our daily walk with God is we need to continually surrender to the leading and the controlling of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, our selfish and fleshly desire will control us. Another side is, uh, he mentioned jealousy and strife. Jealousy and strife or jealousy and quarreling. Where does it come from? This is self-seeking, basically. If you're all about yourself, and it's, you know, baby is very selfish. Mine, my things, right? So if we are self-asserting, and self-absorbed, although in outside we could appear to be very generous and gentle person, but it is actually about us. Spiritual leaders and Christian teachers and pastors are not any different in this sense. If we are not careful, the evil one deceives us in a way that all about what, what I am doing As a pastor, it's for God. Therefore, I could insist and even force others. No, actually, if we lift the the rocks, the hidden motive of us is fleshly. It's about me. Here's my confession. Whenever I'm late, and some of you guys already heard this before, to home, I really thought Kay should, my wife, should chill out a little bit. You volunteered to marry a pastor. <laughs> my, my life is given to God, holy and yielded to God. They need me. So can you just... Chill out a little bit. Suck it up. So in solitude and silence, God reveals things. When all those things settle down, settle down, and God speaks to me this way. You're more interested in how you are viewed by others as a good pastor than your genuine care for your, your wife. So this is not about me. This is about you, Paul. I repented. And I'm still struggling with that, but I'm much better at good ask Kate. To say no to you, you know, even when you're in a meeting or when I cannot meet, to know that I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to be liked by everyone. I don't have to be viewed as uh, someone who is such a dedicated pastor who gives his life. Do you see what I mean? The fleshly tendencies. How about you? 
when you act in such a sacrificial way at home as a breadwinner, as, as someone who's a homemaker, is there tendencies under the rock? It's actually fleshly. It's a self-assertion and self-absertion. The world is about you. We need to catch that. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit cannot control us. He waits until we surrender and obey. Here's a warning. Paul is saying, if you continue this, and he mentions later in chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, this is the condition of people who are continually living by the flesh. And what's the outcome of that? And he just spells it out very clearly. Verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified you were justified in the name of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Maybe among us is a bit different from this crowd, the, the, the list of names. But in the name of carnal Christian, in the name of grace of God, we could also rationalize and justify our fleshly tendencies. Let's give heed to Paul's warning, actually the Spirit's warning to us through Paul's writing. Number three, divisions in the church occur when Christians elevate their spiritual leaders in a man-centered way. Verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? Natural? Verse 5. What then is Apollos? What, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. If Paul said these things in, in our modern language, Paul will be saying something like this. What then is Paul? What then is Apollos? We are nothing. But do you sense the evangelical Christian culture, not to mention you know, any kind of other you know, Catholics or Christian culture in general, mainstream also? There is a tendency of hero worship. There are certain 
pastors and certain spiritual leaders and teachers are so important that they are elevated as critically essential for the kingdom of God. Paul is saying they're nothing. Why is that? Once again, fleshly tendencies think lead us to think in a very self-centered way. Self-centered way of thinking is basically man-centered way. God is superficially mentioned, but it is actually man-centered world. Do we acknowledge that? That our church, at the center of it, God is at work. The head of our church is not pastor, is not elders, is Jesus God Himself. Here, Paul points um, servants through whom you believed. That image is really very important for us. What he's saying? By saying nothing, that means we don't originate any power, any transformation. We don't apply, we don't supply any living water for you guys. We're just pipes through which God gives us, gives you living water. Don't worship the pipe. I'm going to say something maybe reversely because of our postmodern generation is so disillusioned about church. The other way of looking at church and church leadership is as fleshly as this. By the, the other way, I mean, I don't need pastor. I don't need anyone to teach me. I don't need, I just need the Holy Spirit at home and I get, get my Starbucks coffee and go to worship in my living room. Maybe I could watch a little bit of uh, the live feed from a, a service just because I like this preacher preaching. Self-centered, man-centered. There's no yielding to the spirit. Here is the beginning of my paradigm shift seven years ago, right before this church plan happened and my free fall and spending time with God daily and long solitude in the office that God provided, a friend of mine uh, provided for me. The definition of pastor, number one, servant of Christ. Not executive of an organization. And there are three more coming. Stay, stay tuned. And First Corinthians gets really exciting because of that. It revolutionized my view. So the, therefore, if you compare my weekdays, 
compared to those times and nowadays is completely different. And that doesn't mean I revert to to default mode from time to time. But I really concentrate. What it means to be a pastor is being a servant of Christ. I can't wait to, to share three more others later. Fourth and last one. Divisions in the church occur when Christians fail to see the centrality of God's work in the church. I alluded to this point already a little bit, but look at verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who, he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Do you remember I said, uh, if you ask me to define our vision in one word, it would be God-centeredness. To restore God-centered starting with our church culture and in individual lives, continually live out that God-centeredness, God-centeredness in, in, which we, in, the, in the world in which we live would be the vision for us. That, that's, that's what it means to retain the saltiness. That's what it means to be the church that Christ envisioned for us. This passage is very simple, in, in, isn't it? The gifts are diverse, but they are tools used by God. Actual one that makes things really happen is God himself. God is the center. And the application and ramification of this is implication is huge. So let's continually think in that. What would that look like if our men's group or women's group is God-centered? If our accountability is God-centered? If our home group is God-centered? If our gathering is God-centered? If our families and marriage is God-centered? What would that look like? Because we, we, we see that God is the one who actually at work. Paul does the evangelism and Apollos does the discipleship. The question is not which, which is more important. question is neither. question is actually who's at work. God is at work. God gives gifts to his servants, including you and me as well. So, the, he finally is concluding now, I mean, coming to the conclusion of his remarks about divisions. And he's going to go a little more. 
explaining. But he finally came up, became very apparent here. Paul is saying, if you repent from worldly wisdom, worldly way of thinking and looking at things, and if you stop being spiritual babies, fleshly Christian, non, uh, the carnal Christians, then you'll be, you'll be able to see there's no room for hero worship and spirit, spiritual celebrities. It is actually your self-assertion that you want to identify with those people to make yourself look better than others. Stop that. I think it's important to, for us to realize, on the other hand, to give honor to Christian workers, and missionaries and pastors, proper honor to those people who are leading, the elders of our church. No question about that. But we need to be careful about looking at our church looking at the church of Christ in general, who's at the center. I conclude with remarks by Leo Morris. He writes, three times in this verse, verse 9, the word God comes first. God's fellow workers are we. God's filled and God's building are you. This puts strong emphasis on the divine action. Ministries and those they, they serve are no more than God's instruments. All is of God and all belong to God. The Greek translated, we are God's fellow workers, could be understood as we are partners working together for God. It's a good news Bible, good news, uh, Bible translation, which would suit the context very well. Despite its attractiveness, however, we should probably not accept it. For the more natural way to understand the Greek is God's fellow workers. In, in other words, God is at the, at the center uh, of that. It is startling expression which sets forth in striking fashion the dignity of Christian's service. As someone has said, without God we cannot, without us he will not. Isn't that great? So my prayer as we move forward a humble church that we become vigilant about our perspective and about who is controlling our each one of us and our church. Do we show signs of fleshly tendencies or do we show signs of the fruit of the Holy Spirit? If we are, we will see much of love and joy and patience. The signs of when the fruits that comes 
when the Holy Spirit controls not only us individually, but as a, as a church as a whole, we will see the beauty of Christ, the mind of Christ in that sense. To stay being carnal and fleshly for a long time only gives us suspicions that our salvation might not be true salvation, that we might be misled. So let's give this he, give heed to this warning um, for all of us. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the clear, bold wisdom that you give us this morning. In today's culture, this is somewhat difficult to swallow and digest. We pray the Holy Spirit will help us, enable us to see the things that we cannot see with physical eyes and help us understand. Help us to see the benefit in your wisdom. We pray for all of us as a church. We pray that you will uh, guide each family, each member to become God-centered and be more serious about a radical, real transformation for your glory and for our utter joy in your glory. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.